Friends, another episode of the Insecurity Project podcast. I have Philippa Ballett, Philly, as she likes to be known, and I like to call her, uh, back on the show for a second time. Philly and I have been coaching together for the last six months, and it's been a wild ride. So enjoyable. So uh, just meaningful. I, I say this frequently, but I do pinch myself at the joy of getting to work with good people who, do, who are doing good work in the world. And they're my people. They're, they're the people I was born to serve. And it's been a very fun experience serving Philly. And and I've got her on the show again today just to share her experience of what happened. And I think you'll find this really interesting and useful as you hear her tell her story because um, as when I whenever I do live coaching demonstrations, the feedback I get frequently is people find themselves in those stories and they get to try them on. So to hear someone else talk about their journey is always a, a real gift. So Philly, thanks very much for coming back on the show and being willing to talk about your experience over the Lexi- over the last six months. It's uh, it's a real treat to have you back. Thank you. Excited slash nervous. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I start with you? Just you just won an award. You've won a bunch of awards in your <laughs> business. So like you you are someone who's doing some good work in the world. Can you can you tell us? about the most recent award that you, I don't think you were even in the, you weren't in the room to win it. So you kind of found out about it um, online, but tell us about that award. Yeah, that was for the small business, sorry, Australian Women's Small Business Champion Awards. Um, We won the alternative therapy one and it was kind of funny. Well, it was just after we came back from a couple's retreat. So I'm like, oh, it'd be a bit too much for the family to go back up to Sydney and, my kids will, you know, need me and like all that, those sort of like little stories. But, you know, I was happy not to go. And then we won. And then I'm like, damn, I could have had like the trophy on the stage, like the speech. <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. But um, yeah, so we've been finalists in other awards. We've won the Tasmanian, sorry, we've won the Telstra Biz- Best of Business ones for Tasmania, but finalists for the nationals. Just like as a little experience from before I worked with you to now when we won this award it was kind of like oh that's cool wow that's awesome but it I didn't need that like I didn't need that to think or to know or to validate that like I was good enough or that our business was good enough so it was kind of cool just like experiencing the win from a place of security as opposed to other ones especially when I was only a finalist and I didn't win there was a lot of chitter chatter and I remember we coached we had a coaching mm. session about that one after a Ausmanpreneur one <laughs> mm. yeah well it's it's a credit to you and the work that you're doing helping a lot of people so lovely to be recognized for that must have felt good uh and yeah have has it been has it opened up some more opportunity for your business having that award one have has that been people people have seen that and noticed that about you and assumed that that give like does that give them more confidence to then trust the work that you're doing and lean in and find a way to health and wholeness um, because of that award yeah i think definitely i think it's just an awesome it's an awesome celebration for our clients and people who have worked with us they love it when we win awards um but definitely it opens up doors for, you know, getting featured in the newspaper, radio segments, and then that then reaches a whole new um, level of people that haven't heard about us. So, yeah, it's a it's a cool marketing strategy. <laughs> mm, yeah, brilliant. And fun, like a fun one. Definitely, yeah. Um, all right, so I'd love to 
quiz you about your experience of, of the uh, the unhindered coaching experience. I think you know there really is only is one goal, and that is to be unhindered. That's the point. No one wants a coach. What they want is to be unhindered. They want to be able to be at their best where it matters most. They want to be free. They want to have peace. They want to have purpose. They want to be able to show up in the world and really participate. And the only thing that's going to get in the way of that is hidden insecurity. Uh, and and there's only one solution to hidden insecurity, and that's seven essential practices. That's how anyone's ever solved that problem. So, um, so if we just quickly were to touch on each of those seven practices, I'd love to hear your experience of how they hit the ground for you as you journeyed through that. So, so practice one: stepping into the light. Uh, the idea of naming your fear, being precise about the problem, uh, as an entry point into this process. Um, can you tell us about that? Was there was there any resistance in that? Was it hard to see the problem? Was it hard to really identify the core of what was going on when pain was showing up in all kinds of surface levels? Was it hard to move beyond where pain was showing up to the core of um, what was causing the pain? Yes. Tell us about practice one. Okay. I'm going to talk about our first podcast because I think that that was really where I got the awareness or it stepped into the light. So naively I was like, okay, marketing strategy, let's like get on some really cool podcasts, like people that I admire. I'm like, Jamin, Jamin will say no. He probably will just ghost me and, you know, won't even email back. <laughs> sure enough, I'm like, crap, great. <laughs> Jamin emailed me back. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do, yeah, then I'm good. I've done some personal development, especially around my health in the past. Like, I got this, I got this. And then like so much stuff arose even before the podcast interview in terms of like I just said to Jamin uh, before we hit record that I didn't sleep the night before so obviously there were things that I wasn't even aware of that was because I guess the whole point of jumping on to the interview was that I might be exposed if I have insecurities and I didn't really know or was aware of those but I think unconsciously I did it for a reason, not just as a marketing strategy. I actually think I was, I, I needed this because <laughs> even before we started the previous, the first podcast interview, I said to Jamin, this is, it wasn't preempted, but I'm just like, Hey, like I'm no expert in this. So you're welcome to step into the role of the coach during the interview, which you did. <laughs> mm, yeah, I remember that. And you picked up a few things that I didn't think was an issue so I kept saying things like I'm a recovering addicted doer and um and I have boundaries around certain things and you picked up like oh that's not very kind language you know to use for yourself and the boundaries one was interesting to it you said something like oh it kind of sounds like you're just managing stress and busyness not actually addressing it and I was just like flabbergasted. I'm like, what? And anyway, I knew that you'd touched something because it was that moment where I, there was like this reflection. I couldn't really even think about what I was trying to think about because we were having the interview. But afterwards, for like three weeks, I was just an emotional mess. I was just crying, crying every day. And I had no idea why. It felt weird. Like it wasn't like I was sad or happy cries. It was just this emotional release. And I knew that there was something hidden inside me that I needed to address. 
And so then, so around awareness, so when we actually started doing the coaching, when I got really honest with myself, life was not great. Like I, we had relationship issues. So me and my husband work in the same business and that was a new thing from COVID, which brought up a whole heap of insecurities. But I was sort of like, I was thinking about our issues as a relationship, as a team in our business, also like business outcomes and finances, all as just like financial issues, business issues, um, even relationship issues. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't initially, even though you kept saying to me, Jamie, and you're like, it's not a financial issue, it's an opinion issue. Hmm. It's not a business issue. It's a insecurity issue. It's actually not even a relationship issue. It's a you issue. <laughs> and like intelligent, like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, 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 I get that. But I just couldn't feel that until I started doing the work, which was actually probably came like months later where mm. that real, I guess I just, I trusted the process. I trusted what you said and your principles. So I started doing the work, but that real, awareness that oh my worrying about money and what's in our bank account this is not a money issue it's an opinion issue because I feel like if I don't have money in our business bank account it means that people don't think I'm a good enough practitioner or that people don't even like me and so and that happened like in all areas of my anxious kind of like chitter chatter mind whether it was my health or finances or relationships or whatever it was um now I can see it's, it always came back to an opinion issue. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the managing yourself piece that I remember that conversation on the podcast and it's something that I, I'm very aware of in my own life and I, I can't help but see in the world. Um, I, I think there's no, I'm not sure there's any other way around managing yourself when you're young. I, I think it's rare that a person has enough self-awareness or enough emotional intelligence or maturity to really understand themselves fully and to have reconciled all the parts of themselves. So I think then you just kind of get on with life and do the best you can and you, the parts of you you haven't reconciled, the parts of you you're not sure about, those fears and insecurities, you just can manage them. You can find ways of not having them show up and you can dominate yourself and override your tendencies and just be stronger than your fears, feel the fear and act anyway. I think that's kind of a young person's approach, but you get midlife and you're still managing. Mm. Um, I think it, it is unkind uh, to have been managed by someone else. Like if someone's managing you, you always feel like bloody hell, like, that's so unfair. You don't even know me. Why are you treating me like this? Why are you think? Why do you think you can get the best out of me by dominating me, not listening to me, tricking me, squashing me? So unfair. Mm. Um, but I, I imagine you'd see a bit of this in the world too. After you'd saw it in yourself, just um, do you do you notice that around you where people are trying to get the best out of themselves by managing themselves? Mm. Oh my gosh. Yes. The thing is like, I did this, the unhindered program for myself. <laughs> it's affected everything. So now when like, so I have a health practice. So now I see, so old, old Philly would have been like, oh, I have to manage my stress by making sure I eat really well and sleep well and schedule in. Like it was always like schedule in the diary 
breath work or going for a walk or even scheduling time to hug my children. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, I mean like honestly, <laughs> that was okay, on I, wasn't, the list. I wasn't that anal, you know, but like <laughs> yeah. in my in my head of my yeah, diary, sure. that was on the list. Um and so and I thought that that was okay. And I think actually I'll answer your question in a second, but I think that I really that emotional sort of like after the podcast was really like, yeah, I am managing, I'm exhausted. Like I'm just tired. I'm tired of doing this. And I think that that was kind of like the almost like a burden of my shoulders that there could be another way that I could get what I want without forcing it. And so I see that now, like, especially, I guess, in the health industry, um, people are using supplements to address their adrenals, which I use in the practice, but now there's like a very special part of like where that's necessary. Um, you know, so like managing stress by taking pills or medication, managing stress by doing like even just like going to a yoga class and none of this is bad, like it's great. Managing stress, going on a hike, none of it's bad unless it is, unless it's not actually addressing the root cause because then it's like you're always trying to do, like you're doing to trying, trying, you're doing to become so it's like the be, do, have. It's like the trying to do more to be the person that you want to be, but because mm -hmm. you're doing it from an energy of fear. So that was a big one for me too. I was managing stress and my busy life out of insecurity, which was all driven out of fear. It's kind of like I had to do more. to, And even like, I, you know, I was a practitioner, so I'm like, well, I have to be healthy. So I have to do these certain things to be healthy, but I wasn't addressing the deepest root cause. Yeah. And the structure of that lifestyle, if you deconstruct, how does that work? It, it lives off a presupposition that if you rest, you lose. So mm. the moment you stop managing yourself, then the fat, lazy, recalcitrant, bad, undisciplined, the low part of you is going to come out and take over. That's mm. that's the only reason you'd manage another person. You fear that if you don't manage them, you'll get a lesser result. Mm. So managing them is your best chance. So that's a really important – oh, sorry, you go. Oh, no, sorry. I was just – yeah, I was thinking about the managing too. So this was a great example when I knew something wasn't right because we go on a holiday or I'd go and lie down at the beach for half a day with the kids and feeling like the tiger was about to get me. And it was the time thing. It was kind of like I couldn't ever fully relax and chill because it's like if I don't if I don't like keep working, we're going to lose everything. And so it was like it was literally like the tiger was there all the time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you saw the video I did um, critiquing Jocko Willink, his content. Do you know Jocko? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just that, yeah. that stuck with me seeing that video that he did, an interview on um, whose podcast was it? Russell, what's his Ru name? The, we'll call him Russ. Is it Russell? Who's the, the actor who, who was a Russell drug? Russell not, not Russell. <laughs> oh, man. I could pull up Instagram and have a look. <laughs> We'll, we'll come back. We'll find whose podcast it was. That'll that'll come back to me. He's now like a he's a oh, guru he's like now. The guru guy, yeah. He's like the the chill out guru. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very about. intelligent guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So he was interviewing him, and the question was, 
how do you manage the chatter in your mind? Like when you get up in the morning, how do you deal with the the noise, the self-talk? And he says, I don't. I don't deal with it. I don't listen. I just do it. I do not have a conversation with myself. That's how I solve this problem. And the the final line that he said is so sharp. It's terrifying. The final line, he says, I don't like I don't want to have a conversation with myself in case it becomes a negotiation. I do not negotiate with weakness, is how he sums up his relationship with himself. Mm. Um now he's obviously achieved a measure of success living like that. So to be pragmatic, then you have to say, well, then it works on some level. Mm. But I think, okay, well, abusive relationships still work on some level. People Mm. do live in abusive relationships where one person dominates and the other person is powerless. And sometimes no one even knows it's an abusive relationship. It looks happy on the outside, but one person is absolutely on top and the other person is a complete victim. So people get by, people still live their lives, they go to work, they have kids, Mm. they go on holidays in an abusive relationship, but why would you want to have an abusive relationship? How is that okay? Mm. So just this idea of um, this unaddressed insecurity, because it's like you can't trust yourself. You can't trust yourself just to be you. You form these opinions about yourself, these assumptions, these agreements, that there is something wrong with you, therefore you must live in the fallout of that and constantly manage that and distance yourself from that in case something that you do ever confirms your worst opinions about yourself. So um, mm. yeah, that I, I remember the process of you being willing to start there after the conversation we had on the podcast and those uh, weeks have been really hit by that. Um, but when you opened up to that idea that, okay, all right, I am managing myself and the only reason I could possibly be managing myself is because I don't trust me and why don't I trust me? Because I think there's something wrong. I think there's something bad. I think there's something weak. Um, do you remember some of the key language that emerged for you as you were willing to examine, okay, if this is an opinion problem, what are my own worst opinions of myself? Mm. And that's a vulnerable question, but would you mind mm. sharing what you discovered about um, yeah. that language early on? Yeah, I think I think initially it – so I guess that's the awareness piece first was like, okay, <laughs> I acknowledge that there's some dysfunctional patterns showing up. And so – I'm quite a pragmatic, like a very logical person as well, but also intuitive. So initially I kind of, I was just in my head and I'm like, okay, so let's just, without judging myself, let's look at all the patterns of behavior or even just things that I'm not happy in my life in terms of like what's going on. So there was the, there was the addicted doing, which I thought was better maybe even healed but obviously Mm. I was just managing it Mm. so then like acknowledging that um feeling really especially like in business conversations with my husband this is probably where the relationship issues came up but constantly like defensive Mm. prove and defend and oh my goodness you know it would just be like a simple business kind of like question and it would end up being a two-hour conversation where we'd end up hating each other at the end (laughs) Um, and I just not that ability to be able to chill out when I thought about insecurity initially, like the first thing that kind of came to my mind is like, oh, you don't love yourself. Like that's kind of what I thought. Mm. And so, and, and so that 
And that ne- never really fit with the patterns that were showing up because even going back as a child, I always felt like I was very loved. There was no kind of neglect. So I, I knew that I was lovable. So that was so, so I'm just kind of in my head, I'm seeing like 10 different sort of like insecurities or self-limiting beliefs. And I kind of just went through a big list. Maybe you had them, maybe I just created them, maybe I Googled them, whatever. And I just, I crossed things off because I'm like, no, that doesn't fit with my patterns. That doesn't fit with my defining moments from like childhood to teenagehood. And then I whittled it down to a few, I can't even remember what the top five were, but in the end, the deepest, the deepest belief, dysfunctional belief I had about myself was that I was weak and incapable, Hmm. which was crazy because before I started this, there's no way I would have thought that consciously. I'm like, look at all the things I can do. I've done a PhD. I've won awards. We have a business. Mm. My body is healthy. I healed myself from parasites and all mm. the things, you know, and like there was no consciously, but obviously my behavior was trying to hide that. And so I needed to do more and achieve more because otherwise I would get found out, not just by other people, but myself. <laughs> so it was like this very unconscious thing that was driving the behavior so that I couldn't even discover what I was scared of about myself. Uh, It's just so useful that you can unpack it so clearly because that's the human condition. Everyone wants to be good, but they're afraid they're not. And so they either run or they hide. So that's all an attempt to make sure no one ever confirms or verifies the worst things they think. So they either, either, you know, go in safe pockets of the world where they're never sticking their neck out so no one's even looking at them or they do the heroic quest just to go to prove the opposite. No, no, you will never even guess that I'm weak because I'll do everything that looks strong, powerful. So you'll think I'm the most powerful person in the world and that's how I will protect myself from this assumption I've made at a time in my life that is a long way back in the past. Yeah. And it was very tricky. Like even when I discovered this and I told Chris, my husband first, and he's like, really? He's like, I was attracted to you because you were like a strong, capable, Mm. like successful woman, even at 23 when we met. And then as I've like shared this story with clients or friends or family, it's so funny because their reaction is always like, what? you're not weak and incapable you're amazing look at all the things you can do and i'm like i know i i charaded that really well (laughs) very good (laughs) um so yeah that named must your fear be before banish it you can is the Mm. is the time honored wisdom that yoda embodies so then what did you do next so you know we're moving into practice two which is about responsibility so can you explain the next step in your thinking and your processing when you went from that awareness to going oh my goodness um yeah this is some structure and it fits the patterns in order to behave like this what must i believe about myself well i must believe that i am weak and incapable so then the journey of where did that come from and what was my part in creating it can you can you talk us through how you moved into practice too I love practice too. I think so in Jamin's unhindered program for anyone who hasn't done it, you should, there's like kind of like coursework and questions and journaling and videos. And I think, I think in the video, like people really struggle with this because it's like practice to hang on. That's the taking hundred percent responsibility. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Cause that's like, it's like heart, like knife to the heart. You have created this, mm. but I kind of liked it. <laughs> 
Because it gave, like, I was completely ready to acknowledge that if I'm going to fix this, if I'm going to change this, the only way that I can do it is that I've created this myself. Because if I haven't created this myself, then, like, there's no way I can change, really. Jamin can't. I used to call you, I have called you a wizard before. I'm like, yeah, after a call. Like, you're the, a wizard. Oh, my gosh. This is and amazing. the devil, too. Don't forget oh, that. Oh, yeah, I called you the devil as well. <laughs> <laughs> we might get into that conversation soon. <laughs> um, and oh, they could be both the same thing. Hmm. Mm. But anyway, so that was – so in order for me to be able to take 100% responsibility, I had to look at it. So in my practice, we do – like initially when someone works with us, it's like let's just get clear on your body systems. Let's do, let's do some lab tests. Let's like look at your wee poo and spit. And people love that. People love that. It doesn't poke wounds. It's like we get the lab test back. Scientifically, we're looking at, oh, you've got this issue and this issue and this issue. And people love it. They claim it. They're like, yes, I do. Because you're not poking like the emotional stuff yet. Mm. And so I just took that, I just looked at my patterns and took 100% responsibility that I created this just from a really scientific point of view. It's And then it's like, okay, cool. Well, I think, Jamin, you always say like humans, uh, like behaviour is, beliefs are part of the machine that produces the behaviour. So when you kind of like look at it from a metaphor like that, it just becomes unpersonal. And so that enabled me to do that work because then I could do self-awareness without judging myself, hating myself, being frustrated with myself, although all of that popped up. But in order for me to work through that, I had to keep coming back to, hey, this is a safe space. It's safe to do this work. Um, There's no judgment here. We're just looking at a lab test, basically. (laughs) Well, you know, practice five, get help from someone who doesn't care about you, kind of sits over the whole model. So... Mm. Um, yeah, let's just just talk about that and we'll come back to what you said about responsibility because that's really important, the distinctions you've made. But you just mentioned that it was safe to have a look and there was no judgment. So can you describe what it was like having me say, I don't give a shit about you and I'm not going to lose any sleep over you and don't confuse me for someone who cares and <laughs> not my problem, like I'm not coming to save you. What mm. What did that feel like and how did that work for you and how did that well, it obviously created enough safety for you to see that. So can you tell us the process of coming to terms with that? Yeah, yeah. You you were very upfront with that even before I gave you my money. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously like I bought into it. No, but it was good. It was, well, it gave a safe space to say whatever the heck I wanted. Like yeah. the deepest fears, even stuff that I've never articulated either to myself or with other people or events that happened in the past that, you know, there was shame and guilt and humiliation that I could just, I could just say it. And Mm. I knew that I wouldn't get judged from you. Mm. And then in order for me to get what I wanted, I needed to be completely raw and open and honest. And I don't think, I don't think I've held anything back. I think, you know, everything. (laughs) No, I don't think so. And I remember there's a few times you're like, I haven't really said this out loud to anyone i don't really know if i should say it here i'm like well yeah. i don't care what there's nothing you can say that's going to change anything so if you can't say it here you probably can't say it anywhere so are you going to work through the stuff or not is this the time for change for you well if this is your time when this mm. is the space um, and so yeah you're right you just went okay well then i want to get what i want out of this and to do that i've got to be able to see what's going on i can't see it i don't say it so all right here we go and you, you dived in and you showed up and that was mm. It was extraordinary watching you just really 
open all the boxes, have a look mm. at all the files. And <laughs> I uh, think through the energy of you taking the role of the guide, the student, patient, client, whatever you want to use the word, um, the hero. And so that energy shift as well, although I don't think I could have done this without you. <laughs> no, I, that's part I do, of... The energy though was always like, even when I would give you a compliment or like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You're amazing. You're like, you're doing all the work. And like, and I claimed that as well. Like I claimed that and it was really important in the process when I was still working through things because I'm like, this isn't, this isn't like a weird Jamin kind of like, you know, he's like putting out his energy and he's like shifting mm. things. I'm at, like, I'm doing this. Yeah. Which is the responsibility piece. No one's coming to save you. You created this opinion in the first place and you can change it. Uh, now, in in my thinking around responsibility, the, the misdirection metaphor is central to the logic behind taking responsibility. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to this question, which is why I'll ask it. Was that metaphor useful to you or did you not need that? Sorry, can you say that again? The misdirection the metaphor. So, um, you know, a magician's only trick is to think have you think all the actions happening in the left hand when in fact the actions happening in the right, but because you're only paying attention to the left, they could get away with anything in the right. And therefore it looks supernatural. And that's the magic magic happens because you didn't see what actually happened. So the experience of once you get clear on, Oh yeah, this is my limiting belief. The misdirection is where all the action took place to create that limiting belief. And yes. it feels like magic Whenever, if you can't see where the action took place, and whatever it's magic, then it's a powerful force you have no control over. Mm. So, just when you break through the misdirection and notice where did the action actually take place? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like initially, I just like dove into the journaling side of things, and I could I could clearly see that like defining moments. And so initially it was like, oh, yeah, I'm showing up very similar patterns to my mother. <laughs> she might listen to this. I love you, mom. Um, <laughs> I've had many conversations with you about this already. Um, and so, and so like from a, I guess, like a deflection side of things, it's like, oh, well, of course I'm like this because that's, I'm just modeling what I've seen is a big mm -hmm. one. Like so many, and now I've had many conversations with people. I'm not a coach, but I think I might become one um but it is like it's the whole oh yeah I have this because this happened to me or <laughs> because my mum or my dad were like this and I'm just like following their patterns or it was like even in like generational DNA of like and it's just something I've just attributed which is all makes sense and it's all part of it <laughs> but then the 100% responsibility was actually does it really matter what happened or what didn't happen I literally made sense of something and I made it mean I made it mean something about myself. And I agreed to that. And no one else, no one else like held my hand and said, believe this about yourself mm. because I'm doing this thing. Like I made that choice to create to think that I was weak and incapable. And even if someone had said, believe this thing, that in itself has doesn't have the implicit power to make you believe that you still have to decide whether you're going to agree or not. And, you know, and that's Don Miguel Ruiz, his beautiful contribution. 
it's not the words spoken to us that change our lives, just the ones we agree with. So therefore mm. we are implicit in our own experience of life because we're agreeing or disagreeing with words all the time. Mm. So that puts you in the driver's seat. It puts you responsible. And and then it's the way out. Like I, I love that you were excited about that because I think it is exciting. It's a big pill to swallow. Oh, I'm responsible. Man, it's all me. But then the moment you realize you control all the moving parts anyway, then you're no longer a victim and you've got all the power to make change. So mm. is that kind of what it felt like for you, that there was you had power when you oh, acknowledged yeah. responsibility? I became superwoman mm. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, it just it's like, oh, there's a solution. There's actually a simple solution to this rather than do I just have to like, live with this and I didn't even have trauma like there's other people who had like significant big t trauma mine which I think we'll get to that soon was just like very innocent and so which is also tricky as well because in my head when we first started this I'm like well nothing bad happened to me like nothing mm. so what maybe I actually am weak and incapable like I wasn't sexually abused as a child yeah so maybe there is something wrong with me. Yep. And then we could, when we like plummeted the depths of, well, like every child will still make sense of their existence in this world, regardless of what's happening. And it's like, okay, yeah, cool. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. So then practice three to stack the pain. What was your experience of mm. really telling the truth around the cost of mm. that statement, that language, that belief in your world and how it was robbing you? Yeah, I think this one was probably a tricky one for me because when I came to you, let's like fast, no, fast, not backtrack, backtrack 10 years ago was probably when I was at my lowest in all areas of my life health-wise. I was just, I kept using the words broken, felt like I was an 80-year-old. Our relationship was like, you know, to the brink that it could have ended in divorce. I was screaming at my kids all the time like I was in a really dark place so in terms of pain that was really painful and I think that was the first step to kind of like addressing the health side of things mm. so when I came to you there was a little part of me that's just like well I could be content with what I've got mm. I mean actually we do have we do although we fight and I get defensive and like there's tension in the marriage still a nice marriage <laughs> we have nice kids we have a good business but there were things that I just knew that it, I think it was that I'm just tired. I think that was the big, big pain for me. I'm just like, I'm, I'm tired of trying to do in order to feel like I'm an okay person because the more I do, like how much more, how many more PhDs do I have to do? <laughs> I only did one, but you know, like it's like that effort and then, and then stacking the pain. So then like just acknowledging that, that actually I'm not content and that there is pain here. And I also had some like lingering health issues as well, which as a like, you know, very high value is health for me and like being a health practitioner. And I couldn't even solve some of these things that were kind of flaring up with COVID. That was painful. That was painful for my ego, probably more so than like physical pain. Um, and and then to stack it, I just like worst case scenario, I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to like go in a really dark place right now. <laughs> I'm like, if nothing changes, what's the worst case scenario? 
of like all the important areas of, in my life, what could happen. And, you know, it was like my kids would grow up hating me. We'd get a divorce. It'd be really like nasty. We'd lose the house. We'd like lose everything. Our business would go bankrupt because I got to a point where I couldn't even get up and serve my clients anymore. And, you know, like depths of despair and <laughs> I'm very good at, I'm very creative like that. And I think that was good because then it, it just got me to the next step because it's hard to change. Like it's hard to change. It is. And the mechanics of practice three, why that makes the list of the essential practices is because no one solves this from a place where everything's okay. Mm. And you can convince yourself everything's okay because it's like, well, it's not terrible and I can find, I can focus on things that are okay. Uh but it's when you tell the truth around, hang on, but this is not really the picture I had for myself. This is not happiness. I'm not actually fulfilled. I am exhausted. And you start telling the truth and it doesn't feel fun. It feels horrible actually, but that is the mm. gift of pain because mm. it's your most loving and honest voice to yourself to go, um, yeah, you're right. This is not it. This is not it. You haven't found it yet. Keep going. And if you stay here and don't address this, it gets worse from here, not better, by the way. So these costs compound. And then you've got this threshold moment where you're like, okay, well, then the only way out's through. So mm. I can't stay here. This is not a sustainable place to stay. It's shrinking and catching on fire. And I got to, I got to go to the next step. Mm. So yeah, that's exactly what you did by telling the truth and stacking the pain. But it's only half the picture of motivation. So then the to be clear about what you want as well. So develop a compelling vision. That's a hard question. Be clear about what you want. It sounds really simple. What was your experience of really going internal and telling the truth about desire as well, not just telling the truth about about pain? Mm. That was that was kind of hard. So in my marriage, yeah, I like that you've started. Sorry, I like that you've started at every point by going, yeah, this one was really hard. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> No, this one was particularly hard. Yeah, this they're all really hard. But really hard, but then easy. <laughs> well, well, simple and hard, I reckon. Simple the, and hard. Simple and hard and, 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 and predictable and you can do it. It's hard. And you're already doing hard stuff anyway if you don't do this. So <laughs> both roads are hard. Okay, so you might as well choose the hard road that's going to get you more of what you want than the hard road that leads to a life of suffering and pain and yeah. unfulfillment. Yeah. Yeah, there were times where I said, this is really hard, and I'd be crying. I'm like, I hate it. And you always said the same thing. We, It's hard to suffer unnecessarily. It's also hard to suffer necessarily yeah. <laughs> to get what you want. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one, yeah, but so this one was really hard for you. Carry okay, on. This one, this one was hard more so because, so coming from someone who's a high achiever who, who does actually achieve, mm. I never had any, I actually never had any goal or like vision in terms of this is what I want. It was just like literally day by day, got to do more, got to do more, got to do more. So I actually probably have never been very good at creating a vision. Like, you know, I've never done a vision board. I've never done anything like that. And I can see why now, like the patterns of behavior is that, well, it's a bit scary to do that because what if I fail? It's like, just do, 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 and just like see what you get. And then in my marriage, so Chris is the very, like he's very big on vision and he's always dreaming big. And that was actually probably a source of our conflict in our relationship because it was like, now I can see it scared me. Like it scared me when he said big things. And in my little monkey kind of logical brain, I'd always like shut him down. Like, no, 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 that won't work. That won't work. That won't work. 
causing more conflict in the relationship and in the business. <laughs> um, and so anyway, so it was nice too. So I used to piggyback on Chris's vision. Mm. And so this was a nice space where it's like, this is just for me. This is just what I want. Initially, I kind of like started doing the vision based on like what Chris always talked about because, you know, they were nice visions. I'm like, yeah, 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 that, that sounds nice. Even though in my head, I'd be like, this won't work. This won't work. This won't work. <laughs> and then I think the really powerful thing for me with the vision side of things was that was the cost and benefit. So it's like, yeah, cool. You could want all these amazing things, but what's it going to cost you? And is the benefit going to outweigh the cost? And so I did that really like mm. very thoroughly because then I could say at the end, actually there, there were some things that were off the list. I'm like, you know what? Actually the cost for what I want, I don't really, actually I don't really want that. And it, the benefit doesn't outweigh the cost, but there was a bunch of like core, really important things around family and finances and even where we want to live and what our house looks like. And I want to become a surfer and, you know, and like go on retreats whenever I want to and holidays, like all of that's really important and eat really good food, always have the money to have beautiful, nourishing, organic food. Um, be a TEDx speaker, you know, stuff like that, an author. And like, there were a bunch of stuff that I'm like, I'm willing, I'm willing to do the hard stuff to get that. <laughs> and the scary thing for me with the vision too, was that I went from an, the energy of doing things out of fear and force, which was exhausting. And so I probably took a, like I took the vision really seriously because I didn't want to, just do something just because it sounded fancy or nice. I wanted to do it because it was important, but then also I guess the rest of the unhindered process was then I could do out of like enjoyment and purpose rather than fear and force. And when I could, and when I could see that I could get what I really wanted without exhausting myself, like the handbrake came off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And that's how it is. And that's why it's on the list because it's a driver and it's a beautiful driver and to desire is human. So all that stuff's inside you, but most people are not in touch with it. And as you described well, if you're not following your own vision, the only other alternative is you're serving the vision of someone who does have one. So it's, there's, there's no vacuum. You can't just live nothing. You, you, you get helping someone get what they want. So um, the adult opportunity is to what if you were captain of your own ship and setting coordinates or something that's meaningful to you and all the fear associated with, well, what if I make the wrong course or what if I get it wrong or what if it's not actually what I want or, but that's all central to this question and watching you go through that was really cool. And, and seeing what that gave you as a result of that, because it's like, okay, more motivation to keep doing the work because up until then, there's still work to be done around this limiting belief you've come up with. You've gone, yeah, I understand. I formed this opinion. I'm weak and incapable. I kind of get an idea of where that came from. I realized that I was implicit in that. It wasn't just because my mom or my family or whatever. Um, I understand the pain of not dealing with this. I understand what I want instead. And then here we are at the the hero part. Okay. <laughs> All the conversations. Um <laughs> Now what? Now are you going to actually go reconcile that? Are you actually going to go back to that little girl who decided that was an accurate representation of her? Um, you, you understand that that's your job. No one's coming to save you. This is the central work of being an adult is to rescue the child from the wound. So can you talk us about that kind of piece? The, 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 you know, the, it's all moving 
to this moment in time where you are going to go have that conversation with yourself in those defining moments. How was that for you? Yeah, so probably this might go back more around the responsibility, but initially it was just in order for me to get to that, like where did this all start, I kind of just had to look at how I was brought up, which was the old Philly way of thinking, oh, this is why I do what I do and why I think what I think. So kind of like middle child, felt like I was always left out. I was mum's favourite child. That's what my siblings would tease me. But like deep down, I as a kid, I thought that she just loved me more because she felt sorry for me. So there was kind of like this sort of like self-pity type mm. thing or like maybe there is something wrong with me. That's not where the memory was, but just kind of giving context. And then a little bit later when I was older, um, we had near bankruptcy. We had to like give up our house and move. And that was really quite traumatic. And so I always felt like that sort of stuff caused my feelings like my money fears and my sick even like my sickness and stuff like that but when when so when I actually reflected on defining moments so that's what you were like look for defining moments like when were when were the times that you felt humiliated or you first even felt that feeling of feeling weak and incapable or um, I don't know if I named it at that stage, but anyway, when I felt like I wasn't enough. Mm. And so there were a couple of, couple of things. So the first memory that kept circulating. So I'd, I'd been doing like, kind of like a lot of writing and journaling and this just before, memory. Sorry, just before, just before yeah. you go on there. Um, did you believe me when I said that that memory is there somewhere? Like, cause you didn't have that memory before we started. You didn't know exactly what the defining would be. And I would keep, keep saying it's there. I promise you it's there. Did you believe me at, at first? Like what would, did you? Yeah, I did. I believed you, but I just wanted you to give me the answer. And it was really <laughs> frustrating. Cause you like the put, you kept saying the proof is in the pudding. You'll know, <laughs> you'll know when you found it. And I'm like, just <laughs> tell me the answer, even though I knew you couldn't. <laughs> And I kept like saying, is it this, is it this, is it this? Like, you will know, only only you shall know. <laughs> I'm like, come on. So like I, I believed I believed you because, again, like just from the scientific, like we create beliefs about ourselves before the age of seven, yeah. which then dictates, sorry, <laughs> which then dictates like how you exist in the world. And so, so I knew that there was something. And these memories too that popped up weren't like weren't repressed, like, it wasn't like this thing happened and I never thought about it again, but it just didn't seem very important. Yep. But when I was doing this work, it was really interesting because sometimes I'd be kind of like just writing out stuff. That was a good way for me to, to, to discover things. Um, and, you know, I discover stuff, but then it would be more around when I was making dinner or going for a walk or driving to work. Weird, not weird, just like memories would pop up. I'm like, this is, this is important. My conscious mind is not thinking about this for no reason. I've opened up the box. So I was just very open to whatever showed up. And so I was probably like about seven, eight, six. I don't know exactly how old. But um, one of the defining moments was sitting in church. So in our church, um, every every first Sunday, there's like, there's an opportunity to get up and share your beliefs and, you know, everything is just very flexible and flowing and like, you don't rehearse anything, you just get up. 
And so as a little girl, um, I don't remember anyone kind of pressuring me to do that. I'm sure that there were probably conversations in the car going to church like, oh, who's going to get up today? Who's going to get up on the stage or whatever. Um, But I guess I was like a little high achiever back then as well. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. And every every Sunday I would feel like the, the heart thumping and like the feelings of like, oh, yeah, I want to get up. I want to get up. Feeling like any really intense energy burn up inside me. And every Sunday I couldn't do it. Like I just, I literally got too scared. I couldn't do it. And this happened, I don't know specifically for how long. It was at least a year maybe even two years until one Sunday I turned up, I didn't have the feeling. Like I literally just felt empty and I didn't have any desire to get up on the stage. And my little brain thought that the reason why that happened was because God had cut me off. It's like, you didn't get up and bear your testimony. So I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And so that was like a big part of it. But I guess to every Sunday, it was like, why can't I get up? Why can't I get up when other people can? There must be something wrong with me. Why am I so shy? Why am I so anxious? What am I scared of? Other people can do it. Why can't I? And so when I was doing, when I was trying to work out what that core, I guess like self-limiting belief that insecurity was, when I when I, when I kind of like attached onto that memory and I went through again, like my list of five insecurities, it was like the weak and incapable just opened up an attack and I was just like uncontrollably crying mm. and like I knew that that was the thing. Mm. And then do you want me to share the second one or? Just before, if you wouldn't mind, but just yeah. on that, I talked about the three levels of awareness on the last week's podcast, but, um, you know, level one is blindness you can't see anything level two is you can see it and it's painful. Um, but level three is you can see why that happened. And so that key piece of structure where you're like, you, you weren't just aware that, yeah, yeah, I had this experience and that experience changed me, but why did it change you? Like what part of it changed you? What's the logic that happened in there? Because if you can just see the experience that changed you, that awareness is actually painful. That's, that's damaging awareness because now mm. you're stuck in seeing what hurt you, but not knowing any of the structure. So for you to have gone that next step and went, yeah, but when I'm having this, I'm having this as a sense-making creature attaching meaning. So I'm not, the experience isn't what's ruining me. It's how I'm defining why, why me? Cause I'm watching myself not do it. I'm watching a bunch of other kids do it. So mm. this has to be about me. This has to be some problem with me. That's the only logic a kid's going to have watching that experience again and again. And so to see that why piece, that is just, that's what changes the game because you controlled that why. You were the one that answered that question. No one was answering that for you. So that's the responsibility piece and that's the power. So, um, yeah, but just really important for you. If you're listening to this, thinking about your own defining moments, take that next step, just go, you know, beyond what happened. Why did it? Why is that the thing that hurt you? What, what did you say to yourself about why is this happening? What does it mean about me? So, um, mm. but carry carry on. Tell us what else. Yeah, well, maybe I think when we did, so Jamin did a timeline therapy session with me, which was really kind of like cool. And I was so nervous mm. about it. I was actually like my unconscious, I actually felt really unsafe initially. And then, really? we, yeah, and we had a conversation before we started it to put me into a place of safety. 
Hmm. But it was interesting because it was it was when we were like really going to that memory and that defining moment. And I think I think like it was just the old belief of this is it. I'm going to find out if it's true or not. Um, yeah. And felt a lot of like anxiousness leading up to that. Well, because limiting beliefs serve us. If you have a, a limiting belief of being eaten alive by the shark, well, then you are never going to get in water. So therefore mm. to go, oh, I'm now I'm going to just let go of this belief. And if I let go of this belief, I'm going to get in water. And if I get in water, well, then I might find the belief is true. So mm. I think everyone has that experience of, oof, I've held on to this for a reason. Mm. So now I'm going to let it go. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I really, like I could see why, why I made sense. I mean, any other little kid probably would have just been like drawing on their, you know, they wouldn't have made the same meaning as me. I don't think anyone has. I haven't had anyone else where I've shared this experience where they're like, yeah, I felt the same thing. Yeah, they're right. all like, wow, really? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for me too, with reconciling that, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, am I? No, no, tell okay. us how you reconciled reconciling that. Reconciling that. This is the hero. This is practice five, be the hero, which is... Not just the awareness, but now that on the back of that awareness, what are you going to do with that awareness? Are you going to bring any adult skills to bear on that awareness? Because you assume some stuff about yourself that's not accurate and you've been mm. living as though it was true. So does the adult you have anything to say to the child you about that story? Mm, yeah. Okay. So with reckon, I found that really hard because in my head, which I guess is why beliefs hold on to us so hard, is that I just, I kind of, I'm like, yeah, I can intellectually I can see that I made sense of that in a weird sort of warped way but I f like viscerally I couldn't think of it in any other way hmm. and so then when we had a coaching session we did the timeline therapy I remember there was a pivotal moment where it's like well what what did the child need like or something around that it was like what what yeah. did she need what did yeah. she need in well, order to make sense of something different like in order to have a different experience and make sense of this in a different way. Mm. And so that was good because like, it kind of was just a pressure. It was like my own internal pressure to be the girl that could stand up and talk in front of a hundred people and make my mum and dad proud of me, I guess. Mm. Um, and so when I could let go of that, then it's like, okay, that's cool. And that was a really, that was quite a healing moment and a good shift, but I felt like there was still something holding on. So as I continue doing the work, and this is like probably like two or three months later, um, definitely getting like results and outcomes and amazing shifts, but it was like, it felt really hard. It still felt really hard to stay in the space of like not continuing going back and doing the old Re, like the old program of like I'm weak and incapable until we're at um, Jamin and Kat's couples retreat and you were going over like the the child and all that sort of stuff and a new memory popped up which again I've thought, thought of this memory in the past it's not like I repressed it but it just like came to my mind with such clarity same age same situation I was in church and we were doing a presentation all the kids up on the stage and I decided that I was going to memorize my talk it was just like I don't know a 30 second or a one minute talk no other child was probably asked to do that I don't think I was even asked to do that I just thought if I can get up and read it I mean not read it and just say it out of my head like how amazing would that be wouldn't everyone think I'm amazing <laughs> 
And so like preparing it at home, I could recite it perfectly looking in the mirror, got up on the stage, mine went completely blank and I burst out crying in front of all of these people, bright red, ran to my seat. I had to stay up on the stage. That was like traumatic as well because I'm like, everyone can still see me and I haven't been able to do this. And that was, I don't know which one, or maybe it was both because it's kind of like a similar sort of scenario, but the second one was like full exposure. It's like now everyone has seen how incapable and weak I am. I can't even open my mouth and talk. I can't even remember things. Um, and so because I'd done the process like for several months, I could work through that like in real time really quickly. And someone in the um, couples retreat, because I shared this memory, I'm like, I've just thought of something. And this was like a really probably the first humiliating moment of my life. And um, one of the other participants said, well, you know what, Philly, probably all the other kids who got up there and like read out their talks perfectly had their own insecurities. They just had to do it perfectly and read the thing because they were like, so scared that they would do it wrong that and I don't know just that that just unlocked something like mm. took a chain off me because it's like yeah yeah okay cool yeah I'm not weird I'm not weak I'm not incapable all the other mm. kids had all their own stuff going on and you know what one I was brave enough to actually try to even recite it mm. and two I was vulnerable enough to cry in front of a hundred people so, and I don't know, and that was just, cause that's a big thing that I've really struggled with throughout my life. Um, I didn't actually prepare for this podcast in terms of writing something down that I would read mm. off like secretly because <laughs> it's, it's the way that. Oh, I've there's no teleprompter happening there. There's no teleprompter. Oh, wow. Cause it's, it's the way that I have always had, like if I've been asked to do a, like a, a talk or a presentation, most of the time, oh, look, now nah, workshops, I'll just get up and talk. But, you know, a lot of the times I will, yeah, I'm too scared. Like I'm too scared to not read something. And there were even times in university where I was, where I was asked to speak and I was paralyzed to the point where I couldn't even open my mouth. Mm. And that's obviously going to affect me in business and everything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the hindered state. That's, mm. of course, that's going to affect everything. Two things that you described there just to make really explicit number one objectivity so it's not i think it's important to understand the structure of what it is that you did differently and to explain it clearly because you went back and brought some objectivity to that scene you went rather than just only seeing my own experience that's the only thing i could possibly see and remember and imagine then you went what if i saw my experience in the context of a room full of experiences and had a look at every other experience so i just got some distance and saw more and was more objective like oh look at this this kid's insecure this kid's afraid this kid's trying to do something every kid is is exactly the same they're all having their own experience of hoping to make their parents proud hoping not to be make a fool of themselves hoping to prove that they're good hoping to get it right everyone exactly the same so you're fine like you're just a kid doing the best you know with what you have at the time and you've chosen a strategy that's let you down that must have been embarrassing but not any indication of you. So that objectivity is the first thing, but then the, the validation of that child's experience. So rather than rescue the child from a distance, which is to, you know, from your adult state here, just tell that child, oh, silly. Of course it wasn't about you. You're fine. Dry your eyes. No worries. You can, you can speak in public now without having to worry. 
to go back and went, yeah, I, I get how embarrassing that must have been. I feel your pain and you're not stupid for choosing that, but now can you see that it's not real? So mm. you obviously did that for the angst to drop. That mm. That is central to validate that child's experience and then coach her out of that, give her that objectivity. Because if she doesn't believe you, well, then the woundedness stays. So mm. you yeah. brought her with you and that that healing is then evidence, the proof is in the pudding. The the evidence of that healing is sure, there's no teleprompter now and you can get up and speak and it's not evidence of you being weak and incapable. Mm, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. The, empath the empathy piece was important too, probably like really? earlier on because initially there was like deep sadness. It's like, oh, that's where it all came from. Well, that's really sad. And then humour. So I just laughed at myself, which is still judgment. And then, yes. then being able to like then pass that to like pure empathy. It's like, mm. oh, I can see, I can see why you did that and why you thought that, but look at all the other ways you could see this. Mm. Practice seven, rewrite the story. So then having cleared that, healed that, brought objectivity to that, validated the child's experience and then coached them out of that the new narrative that emerged. Tell us about how you formed that new opinion and then how you reinforced it. This one was also hard. <laughs> oh, no, sure. Really? <laughs> they were all, the thing is, I say hard, but when you get over it, it's like that was actually easy. <laughs> <laughs> but this one's hard because this is lifelong. This is also like, this is like the, this is the endurance piece. The other bits were probably like sprints. Now this is endurance. If I could choose between like running a hundred meters and running a marathon, I'll always do like a hundred meters. Sprints are way better. <laughs> um, okay. So probably look, initially uh, you gave me some, just some really practical strategies. I'm like, give me some practical things that I can do because finally I could do something. And that was very hard for me the earlier stuff was I kept saying, what do I need to do? Mm. What do I need to do? And you're like, you don't need to do anything. You become by, oh, what did you say? You said something about like being, you just, you just be, and then you'll get the thing. Well, that is the essence of the transformation. You've already been doing out of an assumption around who you are being. So if you go back and change who you are being, change what's true about you, change the agreement about who are you what is true about you well then new doing emerges from that yeah so the work is to affirm yourself it's to um, agree with new things it's to deeply love and accept yourself and be the one that validates your existence and say some things to yourself about yourself that you now agree with mm, yeah okay so with the rewriting so i had i had something practical to do which then enabled me to be <laughs> yeah. um so you shared with me um is it l harrod um, the six minute morning ritual yeah hal elrod hal yeah okay whoopsies uh l, back to front l halrod yeah <laughs> or either way either or hal, hal um, if you're listening i'll apologize on Phil's behalf sorry <laughs> um i follow you <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. So, because my, my initial thing was, even when I first started, this was like, okay, I don't have time. That was always like an excuse. Mm. If I don't have time, I've got so much to do. Look at my to-do list. I have to do, do, do. Otherwise everything's going to like, I'm literally going to drop all the balls and everything's going to smash. And so when you introduced me to, 
six minute morning ritual. I'm like, I can do that. That's only six minutes. And so what I ended up doing, so when first thing when I woke up, I um, had like a minute silence and that was usually prayer for me. And then I would do um, self-talk. So for me, that was really just honing in the fact that I was now strong and capable and this is new my, my new story. Um, and I went through, like, I was really like a strategic with like reiterating it in different areas of my life. So I'm strong and capable in my motherhood, in my marriage, in my health, in my business, even like with my relationship with money. Mm-hmm. And that was really important. And then visualization. So then like pulled out what I'd worked on in the earlier, what do you want piece, like the vision piece and just close my eyes. And I just dreamt and I saw what I wanted my life to look like in five years time, 10 years time. Um, then I read one minute coach, which always just helped me to have something really practical to kind of think about throughout that day. Um, and then I ran on the spot for a minute. Now, initially I was like, I'm going to do this for six minutes because I have six minutes, but I ended up like this process probably ended up taking 30 minutes just because it like became me. It was meaningful to me before, before I did this work, even though, you know, I'm like a health practitioner and natural and all that sort of stuff. I struggled. Like I really hated doing meditation, self-talk, affirmations, visualization. I could, I couldn't do it. I felt like I just, there was always something blocking me. Um, but when I had this process and it was really meaningful to me and I'd already done the work to then be able to rewrite the story so it didn't feel fake or forced, there was actually like a process to it. Then I just got into it and I didn't stop until I cried. Cause I had, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just robotically saying or visualizing these things. I wanted to get to the point where my whole body, like my whole soul, my soul felt it. Cause then I could reprogram. Well, that to me, just to highlight the structure of that, I think that's Anthony Robbins distinction and Don Miguel Ruiz. It's not words, just the ones we agree with. So I think that's describing agreeing with words. And Anthony Robbins says, you'll know when you've agreed because there'll be a resonance in your body. So when you're mm-hmm. when you're writing a new script and you're having st- new stories, you're going to say a bunch of words that are, that are foreign to you and that you haven't agreed with in the past. So your tendency will be to think that's not true, but you know that you are rewriting the script when you're saying these things and going, yes, I agree, that is true, that is me. And you'll know that you're, you're agreeing because your whole body will feel it and there'll be some emotion to that. So that's... Mm-hmm. That's when you know you're doing new first creation work. You know you're writing the script. You know you're aligning yourself to a, a new and compelling future. So that's yeah, really amazing yeah. to see. That's your process. Yeah. So that was kind of morning, and then obviously that's like not the only thing. Least transformation. <laughs> um, I think like modeling was really important. So looking at different characters or people that I wanted more of what they had. And then really looking closely at how they did it. So podcasts were amazing for me. One, there were certain elements of, before I get into podcasts, there were certain elements of Chris, my husband, where I'm just like, which really graded me in the past. Like, I'm like, oh, I really hate that he does that. Like he just goes to the beach and he ends up being there for three hours and he's just like doing whatever. And I'm just always like really resentful around that. Now I started modeling that. Because I'm like, I, I, a frustration with others is always a frustration with yourself. So why is that frustrating me? It's because it's something that I'm lacking. 
and it's something that will help me to get more of what I want. So I could kind of like see Chris because I see him every day. But then podcasts were great. So I, I'm still working through James actually right from like back in 2018. But wow. listening to with earpods in, James, there are a few others, like maybe like three different people I found that I wanted to be more like them. And before this, I probably actually didn't listen to podcasts much at all. But it was something simple that I could do while I'm driving, walking, cooking, um, and it was just filtering my brain with the way that I wanted to think and feel. And like mm. that was reprogramming as well, because it was like crowding out all the other stuff that had been in my brain for a long time. And course correction, really important. <laughs> yeah. So one of the models that I refer to from Brian Grasso and Carrie Campbell in the book is the four A's of transformation. Step one acceptance that all we have is story step two awareness what is your specific story step three accountability you wrote the story so you you're accountable to the pen you can update it when you're ready and then adaptation being it's the freebie that you get when you do the first three so your life cannot not adapt to the new story so i'm really curious around the fruit that's shown up for you the adaptation of the change what have you noticed specifically before and after uh, around the pain points um, health relationships, finances, work, like what, what has been different, visibly different, not because you've managed it, but because mm. it just keeps showing up differently. Yeah. Okay. I'll go through all the, all the KPIs. Hey, so, um, relationships is probably the first thing that I saw a shift in. And that was actually really early on. All of a sudden, Chris wasn't the most important person. I mean, the most annoying person <laughs> in the world, <laughs> which is from the first page. Um, I just, cause I didn't need to prove and defend anymore. If I constantly felt that I was weak and incapable and Chris was coming at me with all these, like, especially in business with big vision and like, let's mm. do this. And like, that was scary because I'm like, how could I, how could I do that if I'm not capable enough? Mm. And so that was causing heaps of tension. Um, there was also like personal stuff, but like stuff in the past too, which validated weak and incapable capable in different relationships that I really needed to like reconcile and heal as well, because then I could fully surrender into the relationship, not feeling like I even had to manage myself in the relationship, which I remember having a conversation to with you about that as well. And you're like, imagine if you could just have a marriage that you don't feel like you have to manage yourself in it. And I'm like, yeah, wow. I didn't realize that I was, but mm. I bet the feeling, the thought I thought that the feeling of being in a relationship was again, exhausting and that was managing. And so now it's like, we've learned strategies as well to create a clean space. So, you know, we're still very opinionated people and very much opposite. So it's like, what is it like practice makes perfect <laughs> clean space, clean space. How do we get a clean space now? Um, so that was awesome. Also just being able to have really deep and meaningful conversations with friends, family, my children that went beyond just like, Hey, how you going? How was your day? It's like, actually, how are you? And I'll I like touch where appropriate touch people's chests. Like, how are you feeling in here? Because I, cause I can now, because I've done the work myself. So I can show up and help other people like mm. open up the nut. Um, so that was relationships oh, like business and finances. I'd probably kind of think about those well, actually no finances. So I had a lot of money anxiety, even so, and Chris didn't, 
like, and we have the same bank account and the same world. So I knew that there was something going on where it's like, maybe it's not just about the money. This isn't a money problem. This is an opinion problem. Um, but I've been like that or was like that for a very long time. Even as a kid, I was like a massive Scrooge. Like my ki- my siblings were always like, you're so stingy. And I'd have to like save every single penny. And by the time Chris and I got married, like I had this nice, like, I can't even remember, but it was quite a lot of savings for just being a uni student. I never worked, just did like some casual jobs. Um, and so then that again caused lots of tension in our relationship because Chris is a bit more fluid and flexible with money. And I'd always having to like I always have to rein him back and manage it um and then it showed up in business too like I don't know if someone like cancelled or even rescheduled or if someone sent an email and I'm like I'm too scared to open that email because what's it going to say is it going to affect our finances and all this weird stuff like this weird stuff that was just like really paralyzing me to the point when I did this work now it's like, that is like, occasionally I'll still have some little thoughts pop up and I'm like, but I can recorrect really fastly because it's like, is this a money issue? Or is this just an opinion issue? Is this just like an old story, like popping up again? And like immediately I can say, yeah, this is just an opinion issue. Any sort of tension, anxiousness, completely gone and I can live my life. And so that's really, that's really freeing. Mm-hmm. And business wise too, um, oh, like so amazing because now I don't have to like feel anxious and stressed before a day of consults <laughs> just thinking about oh who am I going to see what am I going to have to say what am I going to have to do like there was a lot of chitter chatter before that and so then that was affecting my performance and my ability to serve and give more to other people because I probably was trying to be more the expert rather than the guide I'm like if I'm really weak and incapable then I'm always going to have to know what the next step is and I'm going to have to like almost manage these people to get the results rather than trusting the process actually feeling you know a lot like you have a lot of value you have an amazing process so now I can like just step back and I'm like if people don't follow the process or if people don't buy into the process there's it's no reflection of me at all and that again super freeing because now I can go and live my life I had a lot of issues with sales too it just felt really icky and yucky and um but now it's like I'm just helping people if they want it they want it if they don't it's not because I'm crap (laughs) it's just because they have their other stuff or you know whatever um and then health was not something I ever thought was going to change because I didn't go into this process for this but there was a little part of me that's just like I've tried really hard to address a couple of things so there was So back when I was like super sick 10 years ago, I had heaps of different symptoms. All of that got better when I started doing functional medicine on myself first. And for a good five years, I was pretty like symptom free, although I still had to manage my health. So I still had to live a certain way to not get flare ups, which is telling you something. Um, And then COVID happened in 2020 and um, super stressed super stressful because I suddenly I'm going to be exposed this big scary thing that's happening if I'm really weak and incapable then how am I going to get through this without being exposed to myself and to other people um and then I had I don't know maybe two or three weeks of like complete insomnia did not sleep anxiety raging skin issues hormonal issues heartburn came back so heartburn was a really big health issue I had in the past And anyway, after time, a lot of that kind of settled, although it was still kind of like 
lingering underneath the surface, but heartburn did not at all. And I did all the tests again, all the lab tests, all the poo tests, nothing showed up. I'm like, it's oh, the lab tests have missed something. I'm just going to do the protocols anyway. So I took all the supplements, did the diets, nothing changed with the heartburn this time. And then I'm like, what is going on here? And so from a health perspective, well, actually before the heartburn got better, um, just anxiousness. So one of my pain signals, so we talk about like if you break rapport with yourself or if you start kind of like buying into the old stories or beliefs, you usually get a signal. So for me, the initial one was like chest tightness, which I didn't want to label it anxiety, but it was kind of like more like feeling anxious, but you know, it was kind of like subtle anxiety. And that, that I was actually able to turn that off earlier on when we were doing the work, maybe like month two, I think I felt the first experience was I broke an agreement with myself. So one of the agreements was if I'm really strong and capable, I'm going to close the laptop when the kids get home from school and I'm going to be a mum. And one day I didn't. (laughs) I'm just like, I just got to finish this. There was no deadline. It was just because I wanted to keep working, old patterns showing up again. And all of a sudden like chest switched on and I was just like, oh, I haven't felt that for a few days. What's going on there? Maybe that's a signal. And so then I just experimented. I'm like, how can I turn this off? What do I need to do to restore rapport with myself again? Closed the computer, went and gave Chris a hug, chest tightness still there. I'm like, okay, that's not what my unconscious state wants or needs. Um, Potted around the house, doing some housework, still the chest tightness was there. And then finally, maybe like an hour or two later, I went and sat down with my seven-year-old and just gave her a hug and talked to her for about 15 minutes and the signal switched off. And it was just like, that was like a pivotal moment because I'm like, this works. All Mm. this work I've been doing that has felt really hard, now I am seeing that... I am the actor and that when I do certain things to restore rapport with myself, I will know immediately because those signals turn off. And so heartburn became another one. Oh man, it was like many months, hey, I think it was like month four or month five. And I said to you, I still have this heartburn. I think it might just be a food thing because it hasn't resolved everything else. Like I've seen results in all other areas, but this heartburn is still there. Um, and we had a conversation and I'm like, yeah, maybe it's just the food because it flares up after I eat, but it's not all the time, but it's pretty much every day and you're like rolling your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> or you said something like your unconscious state is down there rolling, rolling her eyes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because it's like, hang on. I, I, my energy was it's not me, it's you food. When it's like, oh, excuse, blame not taking 100% responsibility. And during that conversation, something popped into my head. Again, I'm like so conscious now of things that randomly pop into my head. I'm like, this is important. And I had been taking a supplement for a really long time for female hormones, which give me a lovely or gave me a really lovely um, period, cycle, clear skin, no PMS. It was amazing. It was from the earth. It was natural, no issues taking it long-term. But when I got really honest with myself, I was only taking it, not because of health, but because I was scared that if I stopped the supplement, this is just insane. This is kind of embarrassing. If I stopped the supplement... I was scared that my skin would flare up with pimples and then everyone would think that I'm a no good practitioner, that I'm not actually healthy, that I'm a fraud, that everything I say is wrong. 
And then I'm not even capable of like looking after my own health. (laughs) And the moment I realized that, I was just like, whoa, wow, one, it was kind of like stabbed to the heart. That's really superficial, but it wasn't like, it wasn't sort of like, it was nothing to do with vanity or beauty. It was literally around hiding from my greatest fear. Um, And so then I was like, okay, this feels really scary, but I'm going to stop the supplement. I'm just going to see, I'm just going to trust my body. I'm just going to see where it's at, what it does. If my skin flares up, then okay, whatever. And the moment I decided to do that, stop taking the supplement, um, I ate food, dinner that night, which I'd been eating the exact same meal two or three days earlier, gave me chronic heartburn. Like it was like really spicy and tomatoes. I ate the, I ate the meal and this time no heartburn, but instead from the top of my throat down to the bottom of my gut, feelings of light and love and energy just like literally rippling through my body no heartburn and I was just like what the heck it was like just the most amazing pain signal that switched off literally because I realigned back with myself and I trusted my own nature and Mm. then for the next two days every time I ate food same thing happened this like intense feeling of love and light and healing it was crazy and I've been pretty much heartburn free it's come back a few times but every time it's because I've broken rapport with myself where I've started talking mean about myself or and then you know and then I put my detective hat and I'm like okay what actually happened here and within 24 hours 48 hours I'll solve the issue and heartburn disappears again and that's when I called Jamin a wizard (laughs) I'm like what are you doing you're doing like spells over there well, thank you so much for sharing those stories. They're just, I i might have said this to you, I think at some point I, I probably said it to you, but I, you know, put on the coach hat and the clean space and I don't care and it's I'm here to serve. And I think I do that really well. I think that's one of the things I've developed most acutely about my coaching. But there are still times where I'm touched by something I hear Um and to me, it's evidence of something really pure. It's like the life in you is resonating with the life in me, whether I'm clean or not, whether I'm involved or not. And it's just I can't help but be impacted by what I'm hearing because that right there um, is pure. It's it's life. It's love. It's freedom. It's the real deal. So hearing that story again, it's just it's so meaningful and 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 lovely because uh, that's. For for a number of reasons, it's it's a beautiful way to relate to yourself. So you know the Jocko Willings kind of do not listen, do not negotiate with weakness is an abusive relationship, and you've cleaned the space. You've gone actually, I'm not weak and incapable. I'm I'm strong and powerful. That was a misunderstanding. I've been living my life based on a misunderstanding. That's not only like ineffective; it's unkind mm. to. And for you to have restored that, apologize for that, cleaned the space, um, and then to now have this relationship where you have, like, it's not discipline, which is energy against yourself. It's permission, which is, okay, well, if you now trust me, then I'm playing with you. We can do this thing together. And if we're doing this thing together, let's actually do it together. And if we can keep doing it together, that means we're going to talk to each other. And the way I'm going to talk to you is through physical feelings because that's the language of the unconscious. We can't talk to you verbally. And so it's like you've got these signals now that go, yeah, actually, remember that thing we agreed to do and you were going to trust me and 
that looked like you didn't trust me. It looked like you're managing me again. That's not going to, that's not fair. Just like, you know, with Chris, you've got these agreements around a clean, clean space. And if someone breaks those agreements and is short-sighted or tired or rude, the other person goes, that's not going to work for me. Like that's a clear signal of broken rapport. You can have verbally, you can't have that with yourself because you, you don't have the verbal facility, but that feeling comes up and goes, all right, um, yeah, I'm not your enemy, remember, you've misunderstood something and I thought we're working together. And so now you don't have permission to keep going. That's the fun of this. I, I love the leverage the unconscious has to go, mm, that's not going to work for me. So now I'm going to get in your way. I'm going to resist your goals. I'm going to mm. block your path. Not because I'm your enemy, just because this is really important. And you said we weren't going to do this anymore. And you are. So mm, no. <laughs> um, yeah. I and love hearing it you, now. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, although I hate, although I, I shouldn't say, I, although it's frustrating if I get mm. like the signals, like the chest tightness or the yeah, heartburn, yeah. Um, lower back pain, although that's only happened once. It's like frustrating, but I'm like, every time it's like far out, I'm amazing. Mm. Like I'm communicating to myself right now. Like what an amazing yep. creation our bodies are. Yes. And then Absolutely. being able to turn it off after doing the thing that your unconscious state like needed yes. you to do to realign. It's just, and it's a miracle. <laughs> it is a miracle. And have you ever regretted listening to yourself in this new frame? Have you ever regretted doing the thing that you tell yourself to do? Has it ever been a bad thing to do? No, not at all. And every time it's felt really scary actually yes. to, to do the thing that, it like literally as soon as I've made the decision to do the other thing, it's like within seconds, it's like, huh, why wasn't I doing that for a long time? Yeah. Incredible. Um, last question. This has just been epic. Thank you so much for sharing so personally. So along the lines of you clean the space, you build rapport, you develop a language so you can keep rapport and then you've, you're operating with permission, not discipline. Um, and if you break, rapport and feel resisted again i i love thinking about the fact there's only one of four things that's gone wrong so trust this is perhaps this is a trust issue have you then are you managing yourself again as evidence of the fact that you don't trust yourself which is buying into some old narrative around uh, a defining moment in the past and so if it's a if it's one you've already cleared then it's just an old neural pathway you've dropped into and you're going to go back and align to the new agreement or perhaps, as sometimes happens, you grow to a bigger space and now there's a new defining moment that previously wasn't the limiting factor that now you've got to work through. But still, it's going to be trust is going to be one of the things that could be the reason why you're now being resisted. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, the operating system is outdated. So you're still running like a child. You're still outsourcing. You're, you're needy. And that's dangerous. So... The unconscious is pulling you up going, there is danger in your world because you need that person to like you, you need that person to think you're awesome, you need that person to keep you safe, and that means you've got to play the game their way. So can we not do that? Can can we update and be an adult here and bring it all in-house, be the one that you know gives yourself certainty and safety and significance and love? Um, so trust, operating system or, or neediness. Number three being the game. So you've lost sight or you're playing the wrong game or you're playing a game that you is outdated or that you're playing someone else's game or maybe you're playing the right game but you don't even know the rules and so you keep losing and it's not safe because it's using up all your energy 
and you keep having a bad experience. So can we actually review the games you're playing and get better at playing the right games and actually understand the rules? Um, and then the final piece, yeah, you're playing the right games, but you keep showing up playing basketball, wearing a netball skirt. So you haven't developed the persona who could win the game you want to play. So um, how do, how do those four things feel to you? I, there's been a few key conversations we've had about that. Has that been an ongoing framework that is useful to do when the resistance comes up, when the heart burden shows up, when the physical signal shows to go through those four and go, which one is it? Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. Yes. A lot of the times I feel like, like I guess a signal switched on um, really recently. Oh, I can't remember what happened. Well, another heartburn story. Like <laughs> this is a funny story. Actually, we were sitting in the airport coming home from the couples retreat after a beautiful four days of like just growth and safety and like no heartburn, even though I was eating all the things <laughs> that yeah. would usually cause the heartburn. And, um, and then we saw two people walk past us who live in our little town and mm. I had bought a Porto's takeaway, which I rarely eat, but like, you know, that's just what I wanted for dinner. And it, there wasn't many options. And I was so embarrassed. They're walking by and I couldn't open up the food and the lady kept saying, oh, enjoy your dinner. Oh, what you got for dinner? Dinner, <laughs> dinner, dinner, dinner. And I'm like, shut up, shut up about the dinner. Go away, <laughs> stop looking at my portos. <laughs> and then ate the food, like chicken, chips, and heartburn, the worst heartburn, the worst heartburn. I haven't felt heartburn this in this severity for a very long time, even before COVID. And it was almost choking me like six hours later, we're driving home from the airport and it was 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, there's something seriously wrong here. And I don't think it's just the food. And then I like look back and I'm like, I broke, I broke rapport. I think like it was the not trusting your nature that I felt like they were going to judge me and think that I wasn't a healthy person and that I was a poor practitioner and that I was a liar because I had this takeaway. <laughs> And so then with those other, um, I guess, like operating systems and, and characters and stuff. So then I had to do like some work around, well, what, what is it? What is it like to be a healthy filly? Like, is it a hundred percent perfection? No, I don't ever want that. And I don't ever, um, preach that. So, okay. So it's okay to eat something off plan. That's maybe not the best for my body every now and then. And you know what, if someone sees me eat it, I don't care. Like, I don't care if they care. I, you know, it's just like, because I know that I'm healthy and I'm good enough and I'm strong enough. My body's amazing. And, and then like a character thing as well. Well, I'm like, well, there are heaps of gurus out there who are not perfect. Like I've had mentors who are like, I eat really well in the weekend on the weekdays. And then I'll go eat a hamburger and wine. And he's yeah. like a vegan and he'll eat like cheese and, and meat. <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, like if he can do it. I'm sure I can eat a Porto's every now and then <laughs> and feel good about myself. And then definitely like around business too, like in different like business models and always like trying to like work out, is this the best way? Should I be doing this? Am I blah, 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 blah. Like there was always chitter chatter and never feeling confident with what we were delivering and if it was the best way to do it. And so then like really looking at the game we're playing in business and having the rules and like doing that with our relationship as well. And then certain characters that need to show up. So yeah, like that, that whole part has been a big part of rewriting the story. Mm. 
because without it, I'd just be like sitting there in the morning doing my visualization to self-talk every morning, hoping that it works. <laughs> um, I did say that was the last question, but oh, one more. <laughs> it's my podcast, right? So I can do what I want. Yeah. Your 10 minute Tuesdays are longer than 10 minutes. Oh, no. day, so. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love they're still called 10 minute Tuesdays on the dial. Now they're. I've, oh, we're not playing music. You're going to add music to this one? No, no music to this one. <laughs> this is for all those people out there who are struggling with the music right now. This is from <laughs> my heart to yours. Enjoy music-free space <laughs> while it lasts. <laughs> Last question. So six months is the time we've worked together. How do you feel about that as a time frame for lasting change? Mm, I didn't believe it when I first joined up. Hmm. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way, but I'm like, if I can get a little bit of like shift and movement, even if I have to keep working with Jamin for like maybe another two or three years, <laughs> then I'll do it. So it's been phenomenal actually in terms of lasting change. So I would say there's still work to do. Like there will, there are days think it's going to be hard? Do you think there'll be hard work to do at all, feeling? Yes, yes, but no. <laughs> like, well, I'm sure when no, there's new was, levels of growth. trying to be funny will... there. I don't think you picked up my joke. <laughs> I did get your joke, but no, I'm being serious about that question because to tell you the truth, at the moment, life feels really easy. Even mm. when I get triggered, like I know, I, I guess it's like going back to those four things. Like, have I broken rapport because I've like gone back to an old story or am I unsure of the game? And I can do it really quickly now. And if I put off doing it, it'll only be like 48 hours because the pain signals will be there. And like one of my top values is health and wholeness. And yes. so like if my body's feeling any amount of pain, I'm like, I'm going to listen to you. And so, so yeah, no, I, th I feel like, I feel like probably it was month four where I had some pretty significant shifts in terms of this is really working and seeing the pain signals turn off. And then that was just like massive amounts of motivation to say, this process works. I've just been trusting Jamin for these months. Now I'm like, this works. This is the root cause of all issues. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so then I'm like, I'm just living it. You know, like I've become, yeah. I've become, I'm not forcing, I'm not managing. I'm not, I'm not even trying anymore. It's still hard work, especially when it's like a broken rapport with Chris, because then I have to like, okay, let's, I don't have to prove and defend anymore. And it's like admitting that I'm wrong and all that sort of stuff. Like it's still work. But the moment that I realign back with myself, it's like just beautiful. And so that's why that I actually don't feel like it's hard because mm -hmm. the benefits way outweigh the costs. Now I'm sure that stuff will happen in my life in the future where it, it will probably feel really hard because mm. something new will happen and it's like, how do I do this again? But it's the same process you've been through and every time process. you do it, you get better at it. So I, I agree. It's just another one of those. I had a conversation with a therapist the, the other day. I wasn't seeing a therapist. They were a therapist and I'm a coach and we were talking about our craft. And I said, I help people overcome insecurity. And she said, oh, insecurity, that's a cinch. I help people solve insecurity in 15 minutes, no more. 15 minutes, they come and see me in 15 minutes and they're never insecure again. I'm like, holy smokes, um, I don't believe you, um, but I'm curious, T tell me about this. And she says, right, so session one, we talk through this, this, and this, and then session two, we work through this, and then session, I'm like, 
well, hang on, when's the clock start on this 15 minutes? Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there's a bunch of groundwork to do to uh, move the needle and create a framework and a space. She's, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, now I really do agree because, yeah, I think change takes a long time coming, but it happens in a moment. Mm. Uh, it's actually a you there you get to this point where you go back and actually have that conversation with yourself confront those misunderstandings those assumptions those agreements and reconcile that and then the insecurity is dissolved in a moment because you're like oh mm. that's not real anymore it's never been a monster i always mm. thought it was a monster it's actually not a monster it was just a story i told that now i cannot tell again because it doesn't even make sense so mm. um yeah, that's a short period of time, but there's you can't think new thoughts about something without a new framework to hang those thoughts on. So there's a process that just creates psychological safety to be the hero. Yeah, and, and that's why I think there are seven essential practices to do the work. That only probably take fifteen minutes, so she's right. Um, <laughs> well, it'd be nice if it was fifteen minutes. I think we'd all be happy and well. <laughs> well, yeah, that's and right. Successful. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, thank can you. I, can I just add? I you, was just going to say, like, you used to say that all the time too. Like, t- change is a long time coming, but happens in a moment. Mm-hmm. But it was those moments where it's just like, oh, someone emailed to to cancel their subscription. I feel nothing. Mm, There's no emotional wow. attachment. It's like, oh, yesterday I felt that. Today, it's just mm. an opinion problem, and I don't have that opinion about myself anymore. Mm. So. Yeah, it's 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 amazing when like, nothing to manage anymore. Nothing to manage anymore. Yeah, such a rich conversation. Thank you so much for being willing to let people in on that journey for you. I really appreciate you. It's been an absolute joy working with you, and I'm sure lots of people will have uh, benefited from your willingness to share that journey. So thank you sincerely. Thank you from the bottom of my heart too. My life, like literally, it sounds cliche, but my life has changed everything. Mm-hmm everything so it's just it's everyone should do this should well, should, should. <laughs> on that note of mutual ad- admiration we'll end this episode and uh yeah talk to you all again soon thank you philly Bye now. thank you